At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2, as we're continuing our studies through 1 Peter, uh, we're going to be looking at just two verses once again today, verses 11 and 12. I love when we look at just two verses because it lets us dive so deep into what the text is saying. So I want to read that. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We just thank you, Heavenly Father, for your faithfulness. There are so many here who can testify to your faithfulness in the hardest times and, Lord Jesus, in the best times. I pray that we will praise you and we will thank you in all times. Lord God, I pray that your spirit will move in this place today and do what only you can do. God, that you would save people's lives today and save people's eternities today. That lives would be transformed today, Lord Jesus. That people would be given new hope today, Lord Jesus. That we would have challenge today, oh Father. And that we would not leave this place the same as when we came in. We need your spirit to speak and we need your word to work in our hearts. That's why we are here, Lord Jesus, to learn from you and to learn more about what it is to follow after you. Please speak to us through your word. And Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth be your words, not mine. We praise you and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, So today we're in week six of our series in 1 Peter. It's entitled Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. And this is such a timely scripture to be studying through right now. And it's amazing as I look at churches throughout the nation continually I see that they're picking up on preaching through 1 Peter. God wants this book and these verses to be preached right now throughout our nation. Week after week, I'm hearing either somebody just finished a series on 1 Peter, or they're starting a series on 1 Peter, or they have a plan to start a series on 1 Peter. Actually, Passion Church actually launched a series this week that's called Unshakable, and it's in 1 Peter. And so it's very fascinating that the Lord is continuing to work through uh, this scripture in order to encourage his people in the times that we're currently living in. So I want you to hear that. I want you to know that God wants to speak to his people through this book. God wants to speak to you today from this book. And as we've been studying 1 Peter, we've been seeing that this is a letter written from the Apostle Peter to elect exiles who are scattered abroad in modern-day Turkey. And what's happening is, is they're being persecuted by the people around them, and they're living and they're standing for their faith. And Peter is coming, and he has first reminded them of who they are in Christ that they are holy and set apart for the purpose of God, that they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, and their purpose and our purpose is to proclaim God's excellencies throughout the world. Isn't that an incredible calling? Isn't it an incredible calling to be able to proclaim God's excellencies throughout the world? And we do that through our words 
but we also do that through our lives. You see, we preach the gospel and we also live it out in our lives. It's so important to remember that while we go forth and proclaim God's excellencies, we do that as we speak and we do that as we live. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And what Peter's going to do, he's going to talk to the Christians out of the identity he has just established. It's always so important to remember what came before, before we dive into a text. We have to remember continually that we are chosen by God. We are in Christ. We're made new in Jesus. We're holy and set apart. We are God's beloved possession. And then we allow that to cause us to live our lives differently from the rest of the world. And we're going to see today in the text that our lives are one of our greatest witnesses. Our lives are one of our greatest witnesses for the entire world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is the one who is writing this scripture, and he is a witness. He was a witness of Jesus Christ. He was a witness of Jesus coming on the scene and calling him into ministry. He was a witness of Jesus walking on water. He was a witness of Jesus proclaiming the Sermon on the Mount. He was a witness of Jesus healing people. He was a witness when the skies turned dark. And the ground began to shake, and Jesus said, it is finished. He was a witness when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and there was an empty tomb. And he continued to be a witness for the rest of his life until he died for his faith. That's Peter. See, Peter has had his life transformed by, uh, by seeing Jesus Christ and witnessing him. And he's also seen others' lives transformed through witnessing Peter. And so we will see in the text today that our lives are our witness. And one of the greatest tools of evangelism that we can have is living a holy life. Living a life that looks different from the rest of the world. Because people take notice. And they see that there's something different about you. Yet it is difficult to live a holy life. Would you agree? It is difficult to live a life that is set apart and is according to Scripture. Christianity is not easy. I was reading one of my favorite authors this week. His name is R.C. Sproul. And he said, I do not like it. He said, I hate it. He says, I hate it when pastors come up on the stage and says, give your life to Jesus. All your cares and concerns will go away. He said, my life was easy until I became a Christian. Because I could do whatever I wanted to. I could go after the ways of my flesh. I could do anything I wanted to at all. Now, I'm called to a different way of life. And it's difficult to live that out. And one of the things we're going to see in the text today, and the main theme, is that while we live in this life, there is a spiritual realm that is occurring around us, and there is a war that is waging in us. There is a war that is waging in us. The passions of our flesh are waging war against our souls. So let's look at the text. The first battle that we must win is the battle within. Look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now I want you to notice something here. Peter starts out this text and he calls them beloved. He says, beloved. Now, when he says this word, this is a term of absolute love and endearment. 
This is Pastor Peter, their spiritual father, talking to them as his spiritual children. And also, this word beloved is the word that is used by God to describe his people. You, if you are in Christ, are beloved by God. Embrace that. Feel that. He says, beloved. And then he, he encourages them and he exhorts them. He says, I urge. Now this word urge actually means to strongly appeal to. He really wants them to get this. He says, listen, beloved, I urge you. Now before he tells them what he's urging them to do, the actions that are to occur, he once again reminds them of who they are. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What he means by sojourners and exiles is that this land that they live in is not their homeland. Ethnically, this is not their homeland, but also spiritually, the, the city of Rome is not where their citizenship lies. They are of a completely different people. They're of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a nation different than the nation of Rome. And so they remember this, and he reminds them of this. He says, you are sojourners. This word sojourners could literally be translated outside the house. They're outside the house. You see, they don't, they don't live in this world. They don't make home in this world. They're guests in the world. They're those who are passing through. And it's so important to remember that in our lives. One of the most important things that we can remember on a daily basis is that this world is not all there is. This world is not all there is. And I think sometimes we spend so many years investing into what the next 100 years will look like, and we spend so little time investing into what the next 100 million years will look like. We have to remember that this world is not our home, that we are exiles. It's interesting because as I thought about this, I was reminded of Stacy's in my first apartment. We, we got this little apartment. It was in Granville, Michigan. Uh, I was going to seminary. It was a 600-square-foot apartment with two bedrooms. And uh, Stacy went in there, and as she does, she went in, and she hung some things up on the wall, and she made it look really pretty. And she made it nice for us, and we could live there and enjoy ourselves. But what I noticed about that apartment is we didn't start to do any big construction jobs on it. We didn't add a patio. We didn't start investing tons of money into it. That's because it wasn't our home. We lived there as somebody who was sojourning or going through it. We were on a month-to-month -month rent basis, and we knew that once my time at seminary was done, we were going to be leaving and going to where the Lord called us. Well, now that we have our home, it's different. You invest differently in a home than you do in an apartment. When you have a home, you, you invest into it. Now, if, if you have an apartment that is your own, that is your home for a long time, you tend to invest into it as well. But whatever place you call home, that's where you start to really invest yourself into. You see, we have to remember that this is not our home, that we are only passing through. We're staying here for a short period of time. There's a great book called Pilgrim 
Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read this book, you have to read this book. Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, used to read this book every single year. He carried two things with him, the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. Now what Pilgrim's Progress is, it's the story of this guy named Christian. He gets saved out of his hometown and he goes on a journey, which is the journey of his life, and his goal is always the celestial city, which is heaven. Along this journey, he continues to run into different people who try and keep him off the way and take him off the journey. There's people who want to destroy him, and there's things that lure and entice him and try and drag him off of his journey, off of his path. But he continually looks to the celestial city as his home. I think Paul really summarizes this in Philippians 3, 14 through 16. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me upward in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you, only to let us hold true to what we have obtained. He says, remember that you're just passing through this world, and this world is not your home. Now he encourages them, and he tells them what not to do. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now this word abstain means to avoid contact with, to keep away, to refrain from. It literally means hold it out away from you. Get it away from you. Do a stiff arm to it. Keep it away from you. And he says what, what he's telling them to keep away from them or to abstain from is the passions of their flesh. Now, what is this idea of passions of your flesh or fleshy passions? Or you could talk about the, the cravings of your nature. You could talk about all of these different things. Now, the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about passions of the flesh is uh, sexual passions as we think about that. And we think about this idea of these things within our lives that draw us into the passions of our flesh, gratifying the desires of our flesh. We think of the idea of viewing pornography, which is both a male and female problem. We have to realize that. I think so many years that has been preached in the churches that this is a male-only thing. We have to be aware that this is something that is coming into our homes, and it is also coming into our children's lives at a very early age, and we have to be aware of our technology, and we have to be aware to battle against the passions of our flesh. It's the, it's the passion of our flesh to not remain faithful within the marriage unit. It's the passion of the flesh to have physical intimacy before marriage. It's the passion of all of these different things within our flesh that wage war against us. And these are things we must fight, we must wage war against, we must battle against because they will destroy us if we let them. But this is not the only things that we are talking about here. We're talking about those passions of the flesh, and continually we see that throughout Scripture where we see those, uh, the things we just previously talked about. Yet there's many other passions of the flesh as well. It's really anything within your flesh, within your body, that your body desires that is against God. It's whatever your body naturally craves. And it actually tells us in James, this is one of the, the most amazing realizations that I had as a Christian, that, that our flesh actually wants to lure and entice us and drag us off to death. Look at what it says here. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We have to remember to abstain from these passions of our flesh. Look at what 1 Peter has said earlier. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Then in chapter 2, he names some. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Malice, this, this intent of evil in your heart against somebody. Deceit, lies, not telling the truth. Hypocrisy, saying you are one way and then living a complete another way. Envy, wanting something so bad for yourself and being so covetous that you hope bad comes to somebody else so that you'll feel better about yourself. Slander, speaking words against somebody that destroy their character. And then later on, 1 Peter 4, 2, Peter says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. So he says, listen, don't live for human passions because your flesh is going to want to go after the things that it desires. You'll have natural uh, inclinations within yourselves and drives within yourself. And he says, don't allow yourself to be ruled and controlled by these passions, but for the will of God. See, we no longer live for the passions of our flesh. We live for the pleasure of God. We live to please God with everything that we are. Verse uh, 4, 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now we come back to our text today. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Look at what Peter does here. He connects this idea of the passions of the flesh and giving in to them with war being made against your soul. That's a realization we have to come to. When we think about giving in and allowing the passions of our flesh to control us, we have to remember that the passions of our flesh want to wage war against us. And this idea of waging war, it's not just one fight. It actually means a military campaign. Your flesh has a military campaign against you to destroy you. And we have to realize that. Yet as we live in the world that we live in, because it is a depraved world, it's a world that is, that is ignorant to the things of God, the world will tell you that that's truly how you find happiness, is to just give in to the passions of your flesh. There'll be psychologists who tell you that it's actually bad for your health and bad for your body if you don't give in to the passions of the flesh. But what the world does is they say, don't worry about it, you can just live however you want to and there won't be any consequences at all. They detach this idea from the passions of the flesh being gratified uh, to being uh, something that affects our souls and who we are. And so they give these messages out to people that, that you can just live however you want to, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This whole concept of living for ourselves, living for what our flesh wants, and going after that, and saying that this is how you're supposed to live. 
But we have to remember that all of these things do damage to our souls. Casual intimacy outside of marriage is actually encouraged in our society and seen as healthy, yet we continually see as people get married that it hurts their marriages. And even Christians who have been married by God's grace, I've seen many continue to have awesome, successful, godly marriages within their marriages, but even Christians, it affects the marriage. So those of you who are dating right now, abstain from physical intimacy before marriage. It's worth it cohabitating before marriage, living with one another. This is kind of how dating goes in our world today. Have three dates. On the third date, have your physical intimacy with one another, marital intimacy. And then after a few months, you need to move in with each other just to make sure uh, that you guys are compatible with one another. I mean, how are you ever going to know what it's like to live with one another if you don't live with one another right now? Yet as we look at statistically in the world, if you cohabitate together before marriage, you are 80% more likely to get a divorce. We have to be aware of these things and continue as Christians to abstain from these things because the world speaks really loudly. The world will speak really loudly and it will sound logical sometimes and you'll be like, you know what, I'm like the only one who lives this way. I've been doing this for years and I'm missing out on a lot of fun. I think I'm just going to listen to the world. I mean, it's really not that big of a deal anyway, but it is. I mean, think about it. Think about the last time that you just gave in to the passions of your flesh. The question we have to ask is, did you feel closer to God after that moment? Whatever it was, did you feel closer to God after that moment? Or did you feel sick to your stomach? Did you feel gross? Did you feel as if something inside you died? It's because the passions of our flesh wage war against our souls. And we have to fight this battle. You know, there's another illustration from the author of Pilgrim's Progress. His name is John Bunyan. He wrote an allegory called The Holy War, which is about the spiritual uh, warfare within the Christian life. And he uses this allegory of this gigantic uh, castle with an impregnable wall that no one could get into. And there's an enemy that is surrounding the castle, wanting to destroy those inside. That enemy can never get inside because these walls are so impregnable, but there is one doorway into the castle. And that doorway is the passions of the flesh. Now the question you have to ask yourselves, if you came to a realization that there's an enemy outside that wants to kill you and destroy you and kill your family and destroy your family, would you open the door? No! You'd get your home defense equipment and handle your business, right? You'd protect your family at all costs. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep that in mind when we're tempted because we are going to be tempted. 100%. Our flesh wants to lure and entice us and drag us off to death. Satan only wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us. We have a lot going against us. It's hard to live the Christian life Yet when we come to the realization that we are protected in Christ, if we walk in the ways of the Spirit, that we are protected by God, and that we have to let the enemy in to do damage, 
we can, we can live a life that is holy and be a witness to the rest of the world. So how do we fight this battle? How do we find victory? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about his own struggle in Romans seven nineteen. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. We can identify with that. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. This idea of us being in Christ and that we are no longer, uh, we are no longer what we used to be, but we are actually uh, no longer we who live, but Christ who loves in us. He says, it's sin in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And he comes to this realization. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Seems like a pretty hopeless place, doesn't it? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the way to victory is through the one who has already won victory. The way to victory is tapping into the Holy Spirit that resides within us. I think that's one of the greatest secrets to the Christian life, is tapping into the Holy Spirit that lives within us. It says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we can remember that it is not us who will win this war on our own. But we can remember to tap into the Spirit and when temptation comes to say, God, help me. I know I have the power within me, the same power that raised Christ from the dead in order to resist this temptation, in order to resist these passions of the flesh. I know ultimately, while it may be gratifying for the moment, in the end it will lead to destruction. It will destroy. God, help me. God, make me strong. Make me steadfast in you. And we walk in the way of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says that if we walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the answer is to walk in the Spirit. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It says, seek the things that are above. So what we do is instead of seeking the things of this world, we seek the things of God. Instead of walking in the ways of this world, we walk in the ways of God. Really, it's reading the scripture and living it out in our lives. See, the secret to waging this war is to first realize that there is a war going on every single day. We are at war. I was just really challenged this week, actually. I was challenged by my son, Dominic. Because I'm reading this passage and I'm hearing about this warfare that's going on around us all the time. And my son, the thing he likes more than anything in the world is to fight battles. I mean, all the time. He picks up anything that he can see within the yard, a stick, or, or, or when we're in the house, he'll pick up a piece of molding, or he'll do whatever. He'll pick up a carrot, and he'll start fighting a war with it. We put him to bed, and all we hear is, hia, hia, hia. He's waging war all the time. 
He has this war that is always going on. He's always fighting. Now, what if we came to that realization that there is a war we're always fighting? It's a war against the desires of our flesh. It's a war against the enemy. And that we have to put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, we may be able to stand our ground. We do that through prayer. We do that through equipping ourselves through the word. We do that through walking in the ways of the spirit. We fight the battle inside because Jesus himself says, it is out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. So if we can win the battle within, the battle outside will follow. We have a war that is going on each and every day, and it will be wearisome at times to continue to fight this battle, but we have to continue to tap into the spirit within us. My encouragement to you is when temptation comes your way, turn to Christ. I think sometimes we just, oh, I can resist temptation. We try and do it by willpower or mind power. Turn to Christ. Ask God to work in you. If you know Christ as your Savior, the Scripture says that the same power, you have to grasp this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. No matter what age you are, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. In order to come to Christ, the Spirit has to make you alive and you're sealed in the Spirit. And you can, you, you can realize that you can't fight flesh with flesh, right? It's waging war against itself, but we fight flesh with the Spirit. And the Spirit is so much stronger than the flesh. Start praying for other people. If there's one thing the enemy does not like. He does not like when we pray for others. Pray for the salvation of your neighbor. See how fast the temptation goes away. So we win this battle within. The second thing, we win the battle outside. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Peter says, listen, look like Look like Christ, don't look like the rest of the world. He says, let your conduct be honorable. Now this word honorable needs about six English words to really let us grasp it. It means lovely, fine, gracious, noble, excellent. It's the purest and holest, most noble kind of holiness and goodness. We as Christians are called to a higher standard in our conduct of lives. Because we represent Jesus Christ. We represent Christ in this world. And, it's, and the thing is, we've talked about before, it's this honor and privilege to live this way. It's the way that we find our greatest joy. Uh, one of my favorite uh, authors in his book, Desiring God, John Piper, says uh, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We want to bring God great glory. And with satisfaction in Christ, we can resist the ways of this world. With satisfaction in Christ, we can make war against our flesh. 
and find joy. It's not like we wage this war and then we just sit there beaten all the time and it's a horrible life. It may be difficult, but there is joy and peace and freedom to be found in Jesus that we can find nowhere else. So we're called to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then at the same time, we see what we're called to, which is good deeds. Good deeds, living out our faith, loving our neighbors, loving each other. We think about that word love. I just want to think about it for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now imagine if we lived that way in our lives. Imagine if we lived that way to our neighbors, the neighbor who parks in front of our driveway or who lets his trash blow in our lawn or whose dog poops in our backyard and he doesn't pick it up. That neighbor. What if we said, hey, you want to come over for a dinner at my house? What if we just started acting like Jesus in our neighborhoods? I mean, imagine what would happen. Imagine if we lived this way as witnesses in our own homes. You see, I think one of the realizations I came to this week was that even within our own homes, we're witnesses. You see, because if we live with an unbelieving spouse or if we live with children who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus, we are a a witness to Christ within our homes. What if we loved our families with that kind of love and the witness that that would be? Peter gives the reason why. He says, so that when they speak evil against you or when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's interesting to me that he doesn't say if they speak evil against you. When? When they speak against you as an evildoer. I said this a couple weeks ago. Jesus came here and he lived the perfect life. <laughs> the fullest fulfillment of all love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus, the light of the world, came into a dark world. And what happened to him is that the world rejected him. The Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was hung on a cross as a criminal, was called wicked, was called a blasphemer. Our greatest example of how to live a godly life is Jesus Christ himself. May our conduct be that when people want to say evil things against us and call us evildoers, that they have nothing to grab a hold of. They have nothing that they can look for. They have nothing that they can say, well, look at this area of their lives. Because our lives are so dedicated to God, people look at our lives and then (laughs) they glorify God on the day of visitation. When God visits them. This idea, it's, it's so amazing to see that when unbelievers who hated Christians come to Christ later in life, they talk about 
the witness of the Christians in their lives. Friends, our lives are our greatest witness. And I have no guarantee or promise what the next year is going to bring for this nation. I have no guarantee or promise what it's going to look like for Christians in this time. But I do know what we're going to do. We're going to continue to live out a holy life. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus. We're going to look like the rest of the world. We're going to pray for each other, love one another, encourage one another, care for each other. We're going to live for Jesus because there's nothing else we can do. One of the most impactful stories in the Bible to me is the Apostle Peter himself. Jesus has a very hard teaching that he teaches, and many people walk away from him because of it. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to walk away too? And Peter says, where else will we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. So I don't know what it's going to cost us to be a Christian. I don't know what the world's going to look like for our kiddos. But I do know that we're going to teach them about Jesus. And I do know that we're going to cause them to have so much strength in their faith that they will remain steadfast even when people speak against them as evildoers. And I do know that we can tap into the Spirit of God to live a life that is different from the rest of the world. And may we culminate our lives and think through the words of that amazing hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We are the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We will prevail. We will continue to see people come to know Jesus. We will preach the gospel of Christ. And we will live a life that is witness to others. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.